Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, your adventure books and conversation from 11,000 feet. And once again, I'm your co-host, Christopher, and with me is... Stacy. Hi, and everybody. And we always have with us producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Almost always. Almost always. Every, <laughs> once in a while, every, every once in a while, I need a break from you guys. Oh, and who can blame you for that? I was going to say... I Actually, it it's it's more like Bryce wants to uh, Bryce wants to have some time with you guys and check it out. <laughs> the substitute <sighs> producer Doug wants to spend some time, huh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, how, how are you? How are you doing today, Doug? Doing well, thanks. Just uh, the beginning of school race. You know, it's interesting. I, I keep telling people it's super, 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 super busy. Right. And then everybody yeah. else says, yes, it's super, 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 super busy. But we both look at each other and we say, and the kids are back. And it's <laughs> not a calamity. Things right. are not yes. like flying apart. They're actually holding together and it's looking good. So, yeah, it's it's been busy, but it's been real good. Good. Busy in a good way. Yeah, that pretty much sums up kind of how the summer's wrapping up, right, Stace? Oh, definitely. And you and I have been all over the county this week. We have. You know, um, we're recording this that, that we come out on uh, the day after Labor Day, so I hope yes. everyone had a great Labor Day weekend. Yes. But as we're recording it, it's a little few days before that. So we're kind of wrapping up the summer. School is starting, but it's still summer around the county. And, you know, in the libraries, a lot of staff take time off at this time of year. And right. so I've had the opportunity to go around to places like June Lake and Colville, which is up near the Nevada border and, and Lee Vining and spend some time covering the branches and meeting some of the people who are using the library right now, which is always very fun. That is, that is fun. Yes. And, and like Doug said, school's back in session. So I got to visit schools around the county and see, got to play with kids and see what they're learning. And, and that is always the best part of my job for, for sure. So you were were up in Colville too, or Walker. I was, I I was in Colville yesterday and yeah, I was spent the morning there and yeah, it was, it was great, but you, you've, been in every community. (laughs) Well, I get around. So, you know, one of the things I love about the summer stays is, um, you know, so many people come up here to spend the summer, right? They have second homes or their long-term campers or what have you. And many of those people are our biggest library supporters. Mm -hmm. They, they rely on us during the summer for part of their entertainment or access to Wi-Fi or, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, and we genuinely appreciate it. I just want to give a shout out. Many of the friends of the library members in the communities around Mono County are second homeowners and summer people. So I want to give a special shout out to those people. But you know what struck me this time is I met two or three people who came down to use their libraries. Um, they're campground hosts, right? Yeah. Which is, I think maybe that's my new retirement job. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say the same thing. I have, I have aspirations to do that one day. <laughs> And for our listeners that might not understand what that is, is, you know, there are just dozens and dozens of campgrounds of various natures around the Eastern Sierra. It's an important part of our area, right? Right. And um, especially during the summer, of course. And, you know, you can, with the Forest Service, you can volunteer to be a campground host for a summer. You bring up your RV, you set yourself up and what have you, and you basically get to camp for free in exchange for helping take care of the campground and helping campers who are coming up and getting set up in their spots and knowing what they can do and what they can't do, which this year is no fires, unfortunately. Right. And you get the best, and you get the best spot in the the campground too. That's the thing. All these campgrounds are amazing and the the host gets the best spot. (laughs) So who wouldn't want to do that? And then you get to come into town, get your groceries or whatever, stop by the library. (laughs) And what I love just chatting with these people is where they're from. Some of them are from Southern California. I met a woman from Michigan, you know, and I thought, man, wouldn't that be a great thing to do for a summer? I think it'd be so much fun. (laughs) I love it. Um, That's cool that you got to meet those folks. No, they're awesome. I just, I just love people and curious 
curious people that come do this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, you know, listeners, as you're driving and enjoying the Eastern Sierra, you know, a special shout out to the campground hosts who help keep things running smoothly in challenging yes. times, especially with all the smoke going around oh, right gosh, now. I My know. heart goes out to them. Yes, for but sure. We do, but we do have about- a, yeah, we have a book to talk about. <laughs> We do. And and listeners, we chose to read the same book again, two episodes Yay! in a row. I Isn't know. that fun? It's fun so, for me. <laughs> so, you know, we should mention, you know, as we scope out our, our podcast planning for, you know, we're trying to do it months and months in advance so that we can know what we're going to be reading when and make sure mm-hmm. that we can actually get it read <laughs> in time, right? Because there are busy times of the year for us. We went through the fall publishing list, Stacy and I. Yep. We did. And it was fun, right? There's a lot of interesting books. I want to read that. I want to read that. I want to yes. read that. It was hard. It was hard to make a decision. <laughs> and since last time we spoke about Malibu Rising, which is a novel, we thought we would do nonfiction this time. And we both hit on this book when it came up yes. on the list. And it's by um, Amanda Montell. It just came out at the end of July. And it's called Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. Right. Cultish. <laughs> not cult, not a horse. A cult. Right. Yeah, C-U-L, yes. cultish. Um, and, and, you know, I wonder if we were, you know, we're – we're just a, a couple of years apart. We're both Generation X. I mean, I wonder if we were both drawn to this because of the, because of our age, you know, the age group that we're in. Well, you know, I wonder that too. It, it certainly came to me because, you know, in our generation, we were alive when some serious cult stuff was going down, right? I mean, yes. you know, Manson family when we were really little, but, you know, the 70s was a big thing and in California, especially all these different new age groups and different religious groups and what have you. And then you had the people's temple with Jim Jones. Right. Right. Well, don't you remember? I mean, I remember when I was a kid going to O'Hare airport to go on vacation. Right. And there were always the, the Hare Krishnas were always there, you know, with the robes and the The thing and the flower. And and whenever we'd walk by them, I'd like inch closer to my mom or dad and like grab onto them because I thought those people were going to take me. <laughs> oh, wow. But I do remember them. Whatever happened to them? You don't see them I, in airports anymore. No, you don't. I mean, I think they're still around, but you don't, you do not see them in airports anymore. And so I'm not worried that they're going to take me anymore. <laughs> I got over that. But I do always you know what I mean? Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, my, you know, growing up in Bishop, we didn't really spend a whole lot of time in airports but i do remember first seeing them in the movie airplane um yes, which right. is kind of a joking portrayal we don't mean any disrespect but no that was my first experience and then i did see them in real life later so uh, that you know yeah it was just kind of a thing right that we kind of yeah. grew up with um yes and then the heaven's gate oh, i was right. live i was living in cardiff by the sea at the time which was just down the street i taught in rancho santa fe right and um you know so that was right in my backyard when that happened yeah that was a whole other cult that and we can get into this later but yeah they they all all committed mass suicide but yeah so for (laughs) for those reasons and others stacy and i were were like let's read this book and understand it it's it's more than just about cult cults like the dark serious damaging cults it's about language and um you know i'll just read this little little blurb from the publisher that kind of sets it up and so the publisher says what makes cults so intriguing and frightening what makes them powerful the reason why so many of us binge manson documentaries by the dozen and fall down rabbit holes researching suburban moms gone QAnon is because we're looking for a satisfying explanation for what causes people to join and more importantly stay in extreme groups we secretly want to know could it happen to me and amanda montel's argument is that on some level, it already has. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. But the reason yeah. she does is because it's more than just cults. She's, she talks Absolutely. about other movements, right? Yeah, she she's a linguist. So she comes at this from a perspective of language. And what is the, the language that draws people into a cult environment or cult ish, like it's called, behaviors? Right. What draws them into 
day. And she doesn't just talk about or describe the the cults that we're kind of familiar with, you know, like we've right. mentioned a few already. Religious but she ones. also goes into how multi-level marketing is kind of a, a cult and gym culture, right. you know, is kind of a, a cult in itself. And that aspect being as somebody who's a former fitness instructor and personal trainer, you know, that section really made me think quite a bit yeah. you know, about what the gyms that I have worked at or, or been a member of and what goes along with being a part of that. Yeah. And that's one example we should get into that in a little bit. It's, 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 it's about the language that organizations use to get people, I don't want to say sucked in, but to get people committed to wanting to be part of it and stay part yeah. of it. Right. And, and right. so often, you know, there's exercise gurus out there. There's, there's self-help gurus out there, lifestyle gurus. She talks right. about social media a lot and diets and that sort of thing. And then as you mentioned, multi, multi-level marketing groups, which, um, I had to look up. <laughs> so that's like, <laughs> that's like Amway or Tupperware. Remember Tupperware parties or, oh, sure. or Mary Kay cosmetics, things right. that people, yeah. you know, it's, uh, she kind of talks about them as almost Ponzi schemes. They're, they're things where they, you know, you, you get 10 of your friends to join and then you all start selling this stuff and they get 10 and they get 10 and whatever. Right. And, and you have your upline and your downline. Your downline. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, there have been in the 20 years that I've lived here in Mono County, there have been several that have come through here, you know, <laughs> that, that I may or may not have been a part of. I won't go into that, but, um, you know, they, they're all over the place and they're kind of billed as ways, especially, you know, kind of targeted at like stay at home moms that Mm want to earn some extra money and it doesn't take a lot of time and, you know, and and whatnot. But, um, she, and the way she organ, I really like the way she organized the book too, Mm -hmm. you know, where she kind of will, talk about a particular cult or a particular marketing, you know, group mm-hmm. or a gym and kind of give the context of that particular group and then dives into the language right. piece. Right. Um, I, I appreciated that. I did too. And, you know, we should mention, we talked about this um, before we started recording is that, you know, she's a young, we're Gen X. Yeah. She's at least millennial, if right. not lower than that. She's probably in her late twenties. She's, she's Mm -hmm. a trained linguist. She's got a degree from NYU. She's written for many publications, a lot of lifestyle and fashion publications, but also has come out with some serious stuff. Her previous book that really got her on the map was called word slut, a feminist guide to taking back the English language that came out a couple years ago. So this is a follow-up and what struck me and I think struck you is that this isn't written in an academic style. It's research <laughs> clearly, but it's almost, yes. I was like, am I reading a blog post? You know, her own voice comes out in this. Definitely. Definitely. And, and it's, it's very well researched. I mean, the notes section at the, the end of the book is like, you know, it's, it's as long as one of the book chapters. It I is. mean, it's yeah. meticulously researched, but she does definitely add in a, her own, humor. Right. You know, and I was sharing, you know, in our, in our pre-notes for this conversation that at the beginning I was kind of like, why are you doing that? Don't, you know, for me, I, I just wondered why is she trying to make a joke out of something that's, that's really interesting and really serious. Yeah. And, and I laughed. I mean, I laughed out loud a few times right. reading at, at her humor. And so, I mean, eventually I let it go, but Right. Initially, I was kind of like, why are you doing that? Well, yeah, and I did too, probably because we were that generation that saw the Jonestown massacre and saw right. Devil's Gate and saw, you know, the yeah. Branch Davidian massacre and all that kind of stuff where, you know, it's serious, serious stuff. But and we should say she's very respectful of those those very serious things. But because she talks about some of these other cultures, she does let some of her own voice come out. Definitely. And her, and her father was a, had been a member of a cult when he was a child and then, right. You know, into his, I think young adulthood. And, um, so, you know, she has, she has that experience or that connection. Yeah. We should say, um, 
Yeah, she does. And that was interesting, like how he had to sneak away from the cult to go to real school and all that. Right. was fascinating yes. to me. Could That's you imagine? <laughs> oh I couldn't gosh. even imagine. Um, she does try to define the word cult and cultish at the beginning, mm-hmm. but she points out there's so many different meanings of it. It's really right. remarkably hard. It actually started out as a not a with no negative connotations as a, as a word. And it really was the later part of the 20th century that cult really got its bad connotation. Right. Through all the obvious, obvious reasons. But I will also say like, you know, as you said earlier, it made me think about all the places or all the groups that I was part of where we had our own language and our own way of communicating. And that was just everything from being, you know, a music student, you know, or, you know, as a member of a church or just working in the book industry, or even just having an executive level job where you're working with other Mm -hmm. executives, you almost have your own language and communication style that is different from every other part of the organization. Um, I found, you know, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And like, you know, we, I was saying when, it just brought me to all these different places in my life or all these different groups. Like, you know, she doesn't suggest, she doesn't bring up like sororities and fraternities. No, she didn't. You know? I was surprised. And, yeah. I mean, that seemed like it would kind of go, go with this because they definitely have their own language that goes along and it's definitely a, you know, belonging kind of situation, but that yeah. wasn't a part of what she discussed, but you know, I just, I thought the way that she brought the, the, those kind of extras, the multi-level marketing and the fitness pieces, you know, she talks about CrossFit and SoulCycle and Peloton, you know, all those things, how she brings them into this conversation. And it makes so much sense. Well, what was Um, interesting to me, especially about CrossFit, and I've never been part of it, obviously, but I, you know, trying to get back in shape, I was always very (laughs) interested in it. Um, And how much uh, language is used in terms of peer pressure in in CrossFit, especially. There was some other controversy that came up with the CrossFit founder and and they were, I guess, going through some, some crazy stuff. But, you know, like if you missed a CrossFit section like people were encouraged to call you out on social media or what have you right right yeah yeah it was that was enlightening I didn't you know but she you know she calls out several she talks about the other thing I thought was really interesting was her discussion of terminating cliches oh my gosh yeah that really made me think yeah so she she discusses how in in true cults, they'll use these phrases to kind of cut off people's thinking as an individual and bring them back to the group. So right. things like, um, it's all in God's plan. Boys will be boys. Right. Don't be ruled by fear. You right. know, these are all, um, you know, phrases that, that cult leaders will use to cut off individualistic thinking of their, of their members. Right. And just like, because it's structured semantically to stop conversation, right. And to almost Correct. stop thinking and just like, okay, you were, you were wandering off the path. Now get back on the path and we'll start afresh with probably a different topic. And what was interesting is because she talked about how those are used in cults, especially because very mm-hmm. often cults will fashion their own language, like Jim Jones and the people's temple. And I believe devil's gate and others had developed their own vocabularies and glossaries mm-hmm. and they would create right. their own um, thought terminating cliches, which is actually a term. You can research this, that these right. happen everywhere. They happen. Um, but I was thinking about how they show up just in other areas. And I kept thinking, <laughs> you know, it was just locker room talk, you know, as, <laughs> right. as a way of shutting, trying to shut down a conversation. And then in some cases, I think they're probably, um, they're not all bad. Some of them are just a ways out of a difficult conversation. So, um, you know, people who, you know, might have a coworker who has a family member who dies and they don't quite know how to say something comforting. They'll very often use something like this to kind of just convey that they mean something, but that they don't know what to say next. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I, I thought the, you know, I was thinking exactly along those same lines and I was thinking about like, 
as a teacher, classroom management. We use mm. we use terminating cliches all the time because we've got to move on to the next subject or we right. have to get a unruly and an unruly student back in line and right. you know, we 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 need to bring back that group think. Yeah. But you know, she spoke she spends quite a lot of time on Scientology. <laughs> which I think is the the mother of all terminating cliche organizations, right? right. It seemed yeah. like they they had a lot. They had and, quite a few, and they'd have their their own language and own books and all that kind of stuff. Is fascinating. Yes, absolutely. But it comes up even more. But you know, again, I was just, you know, fake news has become yeah. a thought terminating cliche, right? Yes. To say, I'm going to stop listening to you. And trying to understand your point of view and just call it fake news and move on, you know, and that's not anything political. I think I see it happening on all sides of the spectrum. It's, oh, absolutely. It's just utterly fascinating. So that had me thinking a lot. And also when Mm -hmm. I use those terms, um, and the other thing she points out, I think it was in relation to this as, uh, you know, the language that, that cults use is that we often will, just kind of say, oh, people have been brainwashed. You know, Jim Jones yeah. or whoever brainwashed his followers. And she consults many experts and points out that no expert believes brainwashing is possible. It just can't happen. You can't actually make someone believe something that they are not inclined to believe or don't want to believe. Right, so, or predisposed. Yeah. Right, you know, that people, you know, cults actually fail in a lot of recruitment because people who actually stop and think about it and don't want to follow that path will just leave and just stop right. coming. It's the people who have some inclination to be open to believing that that then you know, will quote unquote be brainwashed, but they're not really being, being brainwashed. Brainwashed. Right. That there's, there's no medical process for that. (laughs) Right. And then, then another thing that stuck out to me that I thought about a lot was, and especially in relation to these thought terminating cliches is that cult leaders or leaders of these kinds of organizations will often capitalize on the way you react, the way you think and absorb a situation or an issue. And she researches and says there's two kinds of thinking. There's system one thinking, which is like snap judgment, quick, not entirely rationalized or well thought through, but boy, someone says something to you and you just, you snap right back, either in agreement or disagreement. And then there's the deeper system two kind of thinking, which is more rational, taking your time, thinking it through, maybe asking questions and, um, you know, making a more rational decision and that those people are the harder people to recruit into these organizations because right. they take time. They, right. Well, and they can think for them, you know, they, they're willing to think for themselves and not just give themselves over, you right. know, to this. I mean, and she talks about that a little bit too, how there were members of, the people's temple of Jim Jones's group, you know, who, who just were willing, I don't want to do my own life anymore. I will just follow you because you make all the decisions for me and I don't have to think about it. Right. Where there were, you know, a few people when they finally made that move down to Guyana, Guyana, Mm -hmm. Guyana. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when they moved down there that were kind of like, you know, this really sucks. Yeah. And this isn't what we you know, we were sold a bill of goods and, you know, they, they started to kind of think for themselves and a few of them did end up escaping. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was really interesting part of what she, you know, that the thinking of things, but, you know, I kind of wish because she did spend quite a bit of time on the multi-level marketing piece and the the fitness piece, it kind of took a little bit away from, you know, talk, talking about the individual cults. And, right. you know, we were just saying, you know, she doesn't mention the Harry, the Harry Krishnas are not mentioned at all in, in this book. And, you know, there are quite a few others that, that really aren't mentioned either. And, you know, I would have liked to have heard more about that, um, you know, and their, their language, but, um, I still really enjoyed it and I learned, I learned a lot from it. I thought it was very provocative. 
Well, you know, I, I, sorry to interrupt, but I, on that, that theme, you know, I enjoyed that she did spend some time with things that we wouldn't necessarily call a cult, but use those things such as the Amazon company that, you know, has a, it has like a glossary of over 500 terms that it expects managers to learn and be able to repeat and use in conversation. I thought, wow, that really is kind of mind control. (laughs) That was, that was pretty, that was pretty shocking to me. And some, and not only that, because we, you know, in our executive team at the County office, we've read, lots of management books and things like that, that have reflected so positively on Amazon and yet, and their culture and their corporate culture. And yet this comes across, this shows a different side of that in a much, doesn't not necessarily in a positive way. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I, yeah, no, I just think some of those credos that they are expected to learn were a little uh, disconcerting. Yeah, I think so too. And probably part of it was just the context that it was presented to you in this book. It's, right. you know, I, I, I kind of understand the need for those kinds of language and what have you. And there are probably some places where it's very positive or it, it's effective, I guess, in a way. But it did make me think a lot. You know, yep. she talks, I didn't think she talked enough about QAnon <laughs> yeah. and all the language that is used in QAnon, like people who are really into it are that call themselves truth seekers and people who are not into it are called sheeple, um, which I thought was fascinating and <laughs> ironic. Um, yeah. But you know, it, it, it's those kind of languages kind of create an us versus them, them. dynamic yeah. that kind of just reinforces people's membership into the organization rather than listening to someone from the outside. But also, you know, she made me think also just like about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, yep. you know, we don't have connections. We have followers you know, isn't that creep? That was that creeped me out. <laughs> Didn't like that. And then also, <laughs> you know, also just again that kind of system one, system two thinking. The people who do snap judgment decisions, who are, you know, we all have that family member or friend who does nothing but repost on Facebook. You know, insightful or emotional kind of clickbaity right. memes, yep. right? Rather than yep. real contribution. Um, so it really made me think about about that. Um, but so, you know, she could have gone into some things, I think a little bit more. Uh huh. Yeah. But I think my biggest takeaway from this book is that it's making me think about my language and how I use it and, and either in good ways or bad ways, because I think we're all subject to this. Oh, definitely. And there was one phrase that you and I both have decided we are never going to use again. Do you want to share that? <laughs> I'll, let, I'll give you the honor. <laughs> well, you know, I like to say pithy sayings all the time because I'm just like that kind of laid back joker dude. Um, but how many times have we heard in our lives, don't drink the Kool-Aid or someone's drunk the Kool-Aid. Right. And, you know, we were both alive when the Jonestown suicide happened. You know, we should yep. know better. She interviews people who survived it and they talk about how it hurts them to hear that because drinking right. the Kool-Aid was an act of suicide or yeah. murder in a way. Right. Um, because people, they drank some cut rate version of Kool-Aid. It was fruit aid or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but we, it's just, it's entered the vernacular. It's just kind of like this throwaway phrase. And I was like, wow, you know, I really should be more respectful. Yeah, definitely. I am, I am not going to use that again. But ever. the book, I think we would recommend the book, right? Oh, Totally. I, I, I think it's, a you know, obviously we had a lot to talk about, <laughs> but I think it, I do. I think it's really thought provoking and yeah, it might, it, I mean, I was thinking, oh, well, I, I want to, there's more to read. There's more to learn about this. So, um, and I, I love learning about language. I do too. And so this was I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I did too. And there are more books we were talking about before we started recording. There are more books beginning to come out on language and decision making Mm -hmm. just in the light of the last few years, world events and COVID and all that stuff and how we're beginning to question each other more and why we're making certain decisions. And um, so people are writing more books on like, how do people arrive at these decisions when they see right. the obvious answer is something else. So I think we're going to see more of these books, but I think this is a good intro because it's short. It's not heavy. She's not academic. Right. 
Yeah. It, it reads, it reads like an, a, you know, an article in a magazine or a blog right. post. It reads very easy and it's was really interesting. So we, once again, this is cultish, the language of fanaticism by Amanda Montel. So encourage you guys to pick it up. And if you read it, let us know what you think and what you <laughs> took away from it. And, and while you're going to purchase it on Amazon right now or going to your library to go pick it up. Or local bookstore. Um, or your local bookstore. Because your daughter we, works at one now. That's right. She, <laughs> did, she can go, go visit my daughter at the bookie joint. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, we're going to send you off with some music from Mike Hammers and the Mammoth High School music students. We'll be right back. back listeners we are at the conversation portion of our podcast where we bring in a unique individual from the eastern sierra from our region who contributes something unique to our live work play lifestyle here and this time we are super pleased to welcome shireen deadman who is i'm actually gonna let her tell you her title when we get to that but shireen welcome Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Stacey. We're so happy that you're joining us in this, in what is most likely a very crazy time for you. (laughs) It's a very crazy time, but I'm here hoping to make it less crazy for everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, Shireen, can you quickly just tell our listeners uh, what what your title is, what you do? Sure. So I am currently the acting clerk recorder registrar clerk of the board of supervisors. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a mouthful. I don't, yeah, right. I don't blame you for making me do it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. <clears throat> so what that means is, and more importantly, what it means right now is that I am the person responsible for making sure you get a ballot that you can vote in this California gubernatorial recall election that is going on. Um, and it's, you know, election day is September 14th, but yeah, I'm that person 
So <laughs> if you have any questions, uh-huh. you're the, you call what, me. <laughs> what great fun that you must be having. <laughs> so much. I actually do really love elections. Um, I actually love every single department I'm a part of because, uh, you know, our department also does you know, real estate transactions. So if you buy a house, it it comes to us. Uh, If you have a baby and you need that birth certificate, if you get married. And so I really love our office because we get to be a part of so many new beginnings. Right. And the happy ones, you know, it's not like the court. I would not work in a court because (laughs) that's where it goes when it's not happy. (laughs) So I really love what I do. You know, I, I agree with you, Shireen. And as a librarian, you know, we kind of innately understand the importance of uh, clerk, recorder, registrar offices mm-hmm. um, around the country, especially in recent years, as so many people have taken up the hobby of personal genealogy, you know, mm-hmm. with Ancestry.com mm-hmm. is widely available and other sites, and people are paying more attention to birth certificates and death certificates and marriage licenses and all that. And all that information has become so much more important and visible now than I think ever in the past. So I think what you do is pretty darn amazing because you're, you're recording the history of Mono County for many, many people. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on, on two things to speak to that, we have to work very closely, especially here in Bridgeport. We're the only microfiche in town. So (laughs) we know that too. We uh, get a lot of requests uh, just to be able to view what the the records that the library has and come right. into our office to view them. And we're happy because we'd rather you do it than us, right? That takes a lot more time and costs <laughs> you money. But, um, you know, uh, so we have that. And then also just kind of, it's really cool. I'm not a history buff. And I, my partner, he is a history buff, but mm-hmm. I kind of have to remind him and not to get too heavy, but I was like, well, my, the history that you think of is not my history. Right. So I've never mm-hmm. really been to it a lot, uh, but to come to a place and know that we're in charge of these records and we're talking back to the days of Bodie, right? Yeah. And, yeah. You know, when our county seat wasn't even the right state sort of records. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> People don't remember that, right? I mean, Bridgeport, (laughs) the county was drawn wrong or something like that? Aurora was was the county seat. Right. And so they were like, oh, by the way, that's in Nevada. Oh, dear. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it still impresses me as someone who's not really impressed by, you know, typical conventional mainstream history. Um, the penmanship alone. Oh my gosh, when you see this record. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just remember, I remember um, you know, making this about myself, of course. Um, in, a, in another state, when I lived in New York, we bought a house mm-hmm. in the mountains and we were able to go to the local registrar's office and look through the actual paper documents and understand yes. who owned that house over oh, years, yes. well back into the 1800s when it was a little farm. And it was, it was just, it made me appreciate Whimsical it more. and romantic and yeah gives <laughs> yeah. you that sense of who who's there and the history and if these walls could talk sort of situation oh yeah right. totally no, totally and also just kind of understand when that kind of like type of ownership took over from you know the indigenous tribes who yeah. were here long before us and that kind of thing so so Shireen, let's go, before we get into your origin story, which we will get to, we've already touched on a really important part of your job, which is elections. And this is coming out the day after Labor Day. So the pending election deadline is looming. Can you talk a little bit about um, why it's so important in the process and how your office conducts it? Yeah, absolutely. So by the time you're hearing this, if you haven't received your ballot, give us a call. <laughs> you should have received it in the mail. And I will say that one of the struggles we have here in our rural county is the mail delivery. You know, a lot of people right. like myself, like so many people, we come from cities where our physical address is our mailing address. And so a lot of people don't realize you have to put your PO box or I can't get your materials to you. So if you, you've probably registered to vote, it just means that we didn't have the right address for you. So that's kind of a key thing. Uh, but getting right. into it, that's what our office does. Uh, besides the many other hats we wear as registrar voters, we are tasked with making sure that registered voters in Mono County receive their ballots 
that we they we let them know we inform them of how to return that ballot and if they want to vote in person we set up these polling places and we gather volunteers and i can't thank the volunteers of our poll workers enough because <laughs> we we literally can't do it without them right um and so and then once you get those votes once you get your ballots in we tally those votes at the end of the day and we continue to do so actually even after election day because as long as your ballot's postmarked, you can get it in. We have seven days to receive that, you know? And uh, so there's still kind of trickle. Let's say, especially with the, the vote by mail, if your signature, if there was something kind of weird about it and we right. just aren't quite sure, we send you a letter and you have um, t- about 28 days to get that turned into us as well. So, you know, that is our job. We're really just here to make sure you can vote. And do it right, right? And and, and yeah. be transparent about it. You know, last year was my, fr- or was it last year? Yeah. The last presidential yeah, like, election was the first time I had actually volunteered to work a poll. And I also want to give a shout out to everyone who volunteers to do that because there is so much um, set in place to make sure that everything is very clear and transparent and that it goes so smoothly. But it was also just a heck of a lot of fun. I got to spend the day with some really really other great people who are committed to the process. It was, it was so much fun. It's true. I mean, I, I honestly, I just finished my uh, poll worker training. So just, you know, it's like visiting with old friends, like hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> if, if people want to get, I mean, I realize that now you finished your training, so they probably mm-hmm. can't volunteer in this upcoming election. But if people want to volunteer to be poll workers, what, do they call your office? What, how do they go about that? Yeah. You know, honestly, there's so many perks of being such a small county, right? Like you really <laughs> yeah. could just call our office and say, I'd like to volunteer. And I'm like, yeah, I recorded the training. So make sure you watch it because I'd rather have more volunteers than not enough volunteers. So, yeah. you know, and there were last year, we had such an abundance of volunteers. I did actually have to start turning people away and, um, <laughs> Wow. That's a good thing. That's great. It's a great thing, right? But especially with COVID, I was like, I can't have, you know, people stacked on top of each other right. in a polling location. So right. we did have to kind of cap the amount of volunteers. But um, no, it's as simple as a call. But there's also on our website, monocounty.ca.gov forward slash elections, there's a place to request to be a poll worker. And that okay. comes directly to my email. We'll make sure we put that link on in our show notes and on our page and in all of our links so listeners can access that. Um, before we get to your origin story, because we really are going to get there, I just have I just have one more question. I just I'm just curious, you know, with all of the kerfuffle around you know mail-in ballots and mm-hmm. and voting by mail in the last election. I'm wondering if you know, for this election, are you seeing more people voting by mail or what do you anticipate? Uh, So I anticipate exactly what we had before because Bono County already predominantly votes by mail. Okay. So um, last year we had about 7,500 voters and about 6,000 of, or 60%, I should say rather, was it 60 or 70% of voters vote by mail? Sorry, if I had six voters by mail, that would have been like such a great turnout. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, about 60, 70%. We're already vote by mail. And this was voluntary, right? This was before we sent it to everyone. So right. most people prefer, especially with a lot of us being second homeowners and, you know, the elections happen at a time where they're escaping the cold. Uh, people choose to vote by mail. We have ways that even if you are traveling, I just received an email from someone like I'm in Europe right now and I need a ballot, we do have an option now for people, for us to send the ballot by email, but it has to be returned, not via email. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, you have to give yourself enough time to mail it back. Um, You know, that's just an example of something that just, again, just having that window into the process last year, it just really made me proud to be an American. Like this is just democracy at work and it's such an important mechanism and your offices, um, 
really have really good control over it and are so transparent. Like people could come in and watch the tallying and all this stuff. Yeah. You know, it, I just was really, really impressed by that. So yeah, absolutely. Job. And we, we and, did release a press release uh, to say, like to invite people, please come watch the process because yeah. we're not hiding anything. Right. Anything we do is dictated by the secretary of state and the elections code. So, you know, if you are curious, it's better for you to come and let me explain it to you than to right. come up with any sort of misinformation. Absolutely. Well, on that note, let's go back to our usual first question. <laughs> we got sidetracked just because of the, the events of the day. Shireen, tell us your origin story. Are you native to the area? Did you move here? What brought you here? That sort of thing. I am definitely not native to the area, but at least I am native to the state. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a San Fernando Valley girl. So mm. I, uh, well, I technically was not born in Los Angeles. I was born in a neighboring county, mm-hmm. but very much raised there. <laughs> and uh, just grew up there. And um, at some point, I likened myself to Siddhartha. <laughs> I was born within the golden gates of the palace of Los Angeles <laughs> and wanted to know how the others lived outside of those gates. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> So I started traveling and, you know, first I went to Tacoma, Washington, and then mm-hmm. I ended up in Augusta, Georgia, mm-hmm. Greenville, South Carolina, beautiful, uh, and then Aspen, Colorado, and back to Augusta, Georgia. And then I was just trying to get home because in my travels, I realized, oh, no, the palace is great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I've expanded the gates. It's no longer just Los Angeles, but it right. is the state of California. Right, right. I went yeah. back in, especially because my family's there and you just can't, you can't beat that. So when I found a position with the Forest Service in Bridgeport, I was like, mm-hmm. hey, what do you know? It's halfway between LA. It's halfway between the Bay. I had a couple of siblings in the Bay Area, a lot of friends. I went to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and a lot of my friends kind of split, right? They went down south or up north. So I right. figured it was a good place. And right. I had always wanted to try living in the mountains because... I've lived just about everywhere. So why not right. the mountains next? And, um, <laughs> you know, Aspen was kind of a short stint because it was with the Forest Service. So that mm-hmm. gave me a preview, but it wasn't quite a winter in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Bridgeport gets cold. Yeah, yes. So I, yeah, I came here in the um, with the Forest Service and then just somewhere in there saw a position with Mono County and applied for it. And here I am. <laughs> so, so, so something must have, you know, stuck or, you know, hit a chord with you to make you decide to stay. Um, lots of things, because again, it's just, regardless of the size of your county, you work with other counties and you know how they do it. And I've worked in public service most of my life. Right. I've worked for the school districts as a TA. I've, I'm a sub currently with you know, Mono County. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Good. I, Thank you. Thank you yeah, for that. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I, uh, you know, I worked with the state parks before I left California. I worked, gosh, and, you know, Forest Service being a federal. So yeah. public service mm-hmm. is very important to me. And then when I realized that I'm in a county where I can affect people very directly with my service, so, you know, just the other day I, I got a ballot and it had the wrong signature on it. So I was able to call directly to the voter and just like, hey, mm-hmm. I think there might be a mistake here. And oh yeah, sure enough, my son signed it. And right. okay, I'm gonna send you another, you know, another ballot so you can turn in the right one. I can't do that in Los Angeles. And right. so I love that. I love to be effective in my position and just making sure that. We're doing the best we can because most people don't even understand what we're doing here in government, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to do my best to make sure it just works the way you expect it to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this last couple of years have been a great civics lesson for many, many of Absolutely. us, I think. Yeah. yeah. So Definitely. Shireen, you know, uh, moving to Bridgeport is <laughs> clearly an eye opener in many ways, but also just probably gives you a lot of options to do stuff when you're not in the office. So what do you like to do when you're not on the clock? Um, I mean, I, 
hang out with my partner, who was the other reason why I ended up staying here. <laughs> okay. I met him here. I met That's him at the forest service. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so uh, I, there is no live music that I will ever, you know, turn my nose up to. I love live music. I don't care what it is. My dad's a musician. And awesome. so I appreciate music in all of its forms, except for people screaming at me. <laughs> and even then, I will, I'll, I'll plug randomly System of the Down. The um, the drummer went to high school with my brother, so oh, wow. they're allowed to scream at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I love concerts and, you know, COVID really put a damper on that. I love the farmer's market. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an LA girl at heart. So everything you think of when you think of LA, yep, I love it too. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I like, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else, but you caught me at a time where I don't have free time. I forgot no, what right. I like to do. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And it's also just, you know, it's also, we were talking about this with with some colleagues before I started recording. It's just, it's smoky and other things right now yes. as we're recording. Yeah. And so often, you know, the day's plans will change by the time you get to the trailhead or the lake or what have you. Yeah. And you need to kind of turn around just for your own health and, and what have you. But I love that you brought up live music because one of the things that I love about the Eastern Sierra since I moved back is understanding how many places in all these little communities you can go hear good bands play, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my favorite. I saw a Cure cover band in uh, June Lake. (laughs) A Cure Uh, cover band? A Cure cover band. And I was just like, yes. Why don't we have more of this? Because like, to me, I love a cover band. It's like seeing the real thing for part of the cost. And, you know, it's like, um, cause I'm a big sports fan. I love baseball. Yeah. And so I love to go see the Reno aces because right. minor mm-hmm. leagues, these guys are trying their hardest to make it to the big leagues. So it's a great game, but at a fraction of the cost. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So where it's did my- you, I'm sorry, real quickly, where did you see that in June Lake? the pizza place i'm blanking on their oh, name is it the t-bar yes yes okay great yeah place. they have some that you know let's give them a shout out because they really do have some i hear about it i don't go because i'm in bed by 8 30 but um <laughs> you um i've i've just heard some fabulous things about the bands that they have week in and week out so yeah. shout out to the t-bar and go check yeah. that out big props um, so Shireen, you know, we, we, we know that you don't have a lot of time and you're kind of devoted to the election code right now, but are <laughs> is there anything else that you're reading that you oh. want to share with us? <laughs> it's not just the election code. I get directives <laughs> from the secretary of state that I have to read as well. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure those, are, those are just very exciting. <laughs> So, uh, you know, but in between on the weekends when I have to force self-care to keep my sanity, um, I actually, and this is sad because I I will say I, you could tell when I started reading this, we're in, uh, you know, we're in September. I'm currently reading Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin. And I specifically started reading that in about early March. Because I was trying to make sure that I was reading a black author right. for <laughs> February, right. but also, you know, a gay author mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. March. And I so yeah, I've still been working on that. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's sad because it's one of the reasons why it's um, you know, obviously I don't give very much time to read, but it is a very heavy read for me. I I have found that I identify a lot with the protagonist. Really? Um, His story. And even though, you know, gosh, it's got to be at least like 60 year difference in age. Yeah. um, Just culturally, you see a lot of similarities in the way that we're raised. And so I, it's, it's hard. I have to put it down very often because I find myself crying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I identify with the character, so you know, um, one of, I, I will I will agree with you on that. And I haven't read this book in many many years, so I'm glad that you mentioned it. But for our readers who may not be as familiar with it, um, you know, it tells the story of a a young man, John Grimes, who um, 
you know, it's, it's his relationship with his, his pastor father, right. Or mm-hmm. in, in, yeah. in Harlem and, and elsewhere and, and just the challenges of, of abuse and racism and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it really is a book that strikes a chord with people when they're finished with it. But I, I, you know, I, I highly recommend the book myself and I'm actually thinking maybe I should go back and reread it because it really struck something with me, (laughs) you know, being raised in a, raised in a religious family and what have you. And I didn't have any of that kind of experience that he talks about. And I know it was, I believe it was, you know, he kind of had some semi autobiographical aspects of the book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, you know, just kind of like also having been raised in a religious family, but Right. you know, strain from that familial belief and, you know, the dynamic of the relationship with the siblings, even like, right. it's just so much of that, that I have seen in my own family. And so I, I do, I have to put it down, but I, I will prevail. I will finish this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, <promise. laughs> you know, I think there's, there's something about when you take time with a book. Yeah. yeah totally. you know, I, I, sometimes we don't, you know, because we're constantly talking about books, mm-hmm. you know, we have to kind of get through them quicker. But when you have the time to really indulge in the book and really give it the thought, like a booklet by James Baldwin would require mm-hmm. the thought and the, um, you know, just the consideration that goes along with reading it. You know, exactly. I, I think that's, that's quite a, you know, a gift. <laughs> yes. And hopefully after, you know, the end of September, when things are wrapping up for you, yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. you can pick out a second book to read this year. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You know, it doesn't help that I'm one of those. I only read, I only read nonfiction or literature, you know, right. like mm-hmm. historical literature. So everything's right. really a heavy read for me. <laughs> <laughs> the last fun book I read was probably Under the Banner of Heaven. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I don't obs- know that I'd call that fun. Oh I, my gosh, it was great! I I loved that book, but fun. I don't know, fun. Stacy, you're not obsessed with cults like I am. Well, oh. you know what? We when when this episode airs, we will have just finished discussing a book called Cultish. Yeah. Uh, the language of fanaticism. So you, that might be a, you would like that. <laughs> that's, book. that's your next you nonfiction should, read. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And not to say that the fundamentalist, you know, LDS are cults. I'm just, yes, I'm obsessed with the belief system that you see similarities among. Right. Um, right. And to see the similarities with my own beliefs, you know, I'm just yeah. like, oh, wow, I never thought I'd agree with the fundamentalist church in some areas, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, life is full of nuances, right? We shouldn't be painting each other with broad brushes. That's what I always exactly. say. Yes. Well, Shireen, thank you so, so much. We know that, you know, as we're recording this, you have to, to jet off to another meeting, but mm-hmm. we really appreciate you taking time to talk with us this morning and, and very much appreciate all of your hard work and everything that you do to support um, the rights of voters in right. Mono County and allow us to, to participate in all of these elections. So thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I just really appreciate that you gave me the time. Um, and, you know, I appreciate what you guys contribute to the community, you know, besides talking about books and everybody needs that space. And as an avid podcaster, <laughs> I, you know, love to have a new episode that isn't about a cult. <laughs> <laughs> or true crime in some form, right? <laughs> and um, I actually, I have a podcast. I used to have a podcast myself, so I totally understand the time right. it takes to be able to dedicate the, to this. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank thank and, you so, so much. And I will just quickly jump in and remind listeners, we referred to it earlier, the library mm-hmm. and the office of the registrar in Mono County are kind of accessible from the same building mm-hmm. in Bridgeport. Yes. So if you walk into the library, just wave, politely at the <laughs> registrar's office as you walk in or vice versa, because we really appreciate <laughs> exactly. being in the same spot. Yeah. Exactly. Right. All right. You guys have a good day. Thank you. Thank and you for thank, joining us. Thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the oxygen starved podcast. We really appreciate your time. Remember you can find us at, on our Instagram at O2 starved 
and on our website at Oxygen Starved Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you're reading and make sure you register to vote. So have a great day. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.